Savior has been born, the one who we've waited for, surrounded by our praises. He is here, the promise of the Your glory be revealed. Joy to the world, peace to all who love Him. The Savior has been of Emmanuel concerning our next steps as a church is to take uh, very intentional efforts to make disciples and to train leaders at this church. As much as I enjoy preaching, I think you would get tired of my face if I was the only one here every single week. 
Um, so today, uh, Joel Porter, who's one of our elders at the church, will be preaching. The eventual goal at Emmanuel is this, that if I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, that the church would go on, that people could be able to fill the role that I have here, that I've really uh, poured into other people and just ensured that people are, are being raised up in leadership here at the church to the best of our abilities. And so I understand that to be the biblical model that we saw Jesus doing with his disciples, we saw Paul doing with others, and ever since for the past 2,000 years in Christianity. So... With no further ado, I want to call up Joel Porter to come and, uh, and open the word for us. And as he's walking up, let me pray for him. Jesus, we thank you for the chance yet again to hear from your word, Lord. We pray that you would use Joel this morning, Lord. May we not hear Joel's words, may we hear yours. Would you give us an open heart, Lord, to receive what you have for us? And uh, we love you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Daniel. Thank you, church. Um, wow. So as uh, Pastor Daniel said, my name is Joel Porter. Um, many of you know me. Many of you have known me for many, 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 many years. Many of you have not known me for many, many, many years. So um, yes, as, as Daniel mentioned, I am one of the elders here at Emmanuel. Um, but just a brief introduction of myself. Um, I've been coming to Emmanuel for 36 years. My parents carried me in as an infant in March of 1984. I have been attending ever since. I met my wife here when I was six months old, and she was carried in as an infant. I fell in love with her probably around 1987, 1988. I fell in love with Christ around 1988, 1989, and accepted him into my heart. I've learned from the best here. I'm thankful that I've been married here, that my children are here. I'm thankful that the elders of Emmanuel, who have seen me at my best and have seen me at my worst, have still uh, asked me to walk with them and have entrusted me to deliver a message today. I wasn't expecting that introduction to be so emotional. <laughs> um, but thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us online. Um, Merry Christmas. All right. The holiday is over. <laughs> what was once joyous preparations and assembling kitchen sets on Christmas Eve into the wee hours of the morning has now given way to piles of cardboard boxes waiting to be broken down and recycled. Staticky bits of styrofoam are everywhere, stuck to everything and shredded wrapping paper in lawn leaf bags taking up valuable real estate in your garage, ushering in a season of undecorating and the inevitable post-holiday blues. My hope is that my first pastoral sermon does not contribute to anybody's post-holiday blues, but we go on in the hope of Christ who gives us reason to celebrate his birth, his life, 
his death, his resurrection, and salvation every single day. That was not my sermon, but that could have been it. (laughs) In the last five weeks of Advent, we've heard about the several uh, key participants in the birth of Christ. We've learned about the hope of Zechariah, of Mary, of Simeon and Anna, the wise men, and of course, Christ himself. For many of these key players, we even have myriad Christmas carols composed about them. Jesus, Mary, wise men, shepherds, angels, tiny towns the size of Walmart parking lots. Speaking of which, we even have songs about shopping at said Walmarts. There are songs about mythical elves and reindeer with alarming nose conditions. Rudolph, you need to go see a vet. Um, We have songs about evergreen trees, silver bells, and snow. For that matter, even donkeys, front teeth, and hippopotamuses get their own song. And for that reason, I cry foul and emphatically and petulantly stomp my foot and say, What about Joseph? Poor Joseph seems to get the short end of the stick every Christmas. But in my view, and I hope to impart to you today, he has one of the most important roles in the birth of Christ, being the earthly father and spiritual head of the Holy Family's household. And we have so much that we can learn from him and his contributions to the whole. To that end, we're going to look at two scriptures this morning, Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and 2, 13 through 23. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, for this day and for this family that I get to spend time with. Lord, I ask that uh, the words that are spoken this morning uh, come from your heart and that it pierce through, pierces through um, and touches the hearts of your people, inspires us to look closer to Christ and to live lives of righteousness, integrity, following your wisdom and guidance. your name, amen. So Matthew 1, 18 through 25. um, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, that means before they were intimate, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. So the first thing that I want to talk about with Joseph is his righteousness. 
See, so often, and maybe I just grew up having not heard this story quite right, or, or perhaps there were those who taught it from their own particular bias or point of view, but for some reason, I always kind of grew up knowing Joseph as kind of like a jerk. Seriously? You're going to divorce your wife while you are engaged to her because of that? Um, but no, that's, that's, that's not at all. That's not at all what the word says. In verse 19, it says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. So what is that, exactly does it mean to be righteous? What does that word even mean anyway? Well, the book of Proverbs often compares the lifestyles of the wicked and the righteous and makes a strong case for living by God's pattern instead of ours. The advantages of righteous living, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and the disadvantages of wicked living are pointed out in Proverbs, particularly chapters 10 through 18. So if you really want to get a handle of what righteousness means, turn to Proverbs 10 through, uh, 10 through 18 and give those a read. Every single chapter is titled, Contrast the Righteous and the Wicked. Here's an example from uh, Proverbs 11, 3 through 6. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will, soon, uh, will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. There are so many comparisons in Proverbs. The righteous are hopeful. The wicked are fearful. The righteous are concerned about the welfare of God's creation. The wicked, even their compassion is cruel. The, rich, uh, the righteous persevere against evil, but the wicked hate those with integrity. The righteous conduct is upright, but the wicked conduct is crooked. The righteous are concerned for the poor, but the wicked are unconcerned. The righteous stand firm. The wicked are swept away. Like that house that was built on sand. That's another sermon for another day. The righteous walk securely. The wicked will be found out. God protects the righteous, and God destroys the wicked. That's in Proverbs 10.9. God delights in the walk of the blameless, but detests the perverse in heart. So, which, which side of wickedness or righteousness does Joseph actually exemplify? I could go on and on as the, uh, on righteousness as the book of Proverbs goes on and on about righteousness, but we'd, we'd be here all day. Ultimately, the kind of person we decide to be will affect every area of our lives. And the type of person that Joseph decided to be affected every area of his life, his wife's life, and his children's lives. 
Will we embrace integrity and the blamelessness and deliverance of being righteous, as these passages suggest? So we return to Joseph in Matthew 1.19 and talk about integrity and being upright. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, other translations say, was faithful to the law. That's important, so remember that. And not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Other translations say to divorce her in secret. But we need to be reminded of a few things. Righteousness comes from God. We cannot be righteous solely from within ourselves. There is a term used for those who ascribe righteousness to themselves. Can somebody help me out? Self-righteousness. Again, another sermon for another day. But I'm, I'm reminded a little bit of, of Corinthians 5.21, where Paul is speaking about Jesus who knew no sin and became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, we, we can't achieve righteousness on our own. We need the influence of God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son in our lives in order for God to call us righteous. And we already heard about righteousness in two previous weeks through this Advent series. We heard about two other men in the story who were also described in the Bible as being righteous, Zechariah and Simeon. And now we're hearing about Joseph being called righteous. All three of these godly men have something in common, although their stories are a little different. They were righteous and obedient to God's guidance. But that obedience looked a little bit different for all three of them, didn't it? For Simeon, he was obedient to the word of God on his life that he would see the Messiah. So, with perseverance and obedience and righteousness, he stayed at the temple and waited for that day. He waited on God and God's timing to bring that Messiah to him, that he would see it just as he was promised. Boy, that's a level of perseverance and obedience that I would love to have. Then we have Zechariah, who, well, he ended up being mute for eight months while he waited for his son to be born, and then he could say his name is John. Ultimately, he was obedient. Joseph didn't take quite as much time. <laughs> um, it doesn't quite say how long it was between Joseph deciding to divorce Mary and the angel of the Lord coming to, to speak to him. Um, well, verse 20 says, but when he had considered this, that sounds like a pretty short amount of time. But now Joseph is faced with a difficult decision. On the one hand, he's faithful to the law. The law has some pretty specific things to say about this situation. Um, on the other hand, he wants to show compassion on his bride. See, the culture of the day, and you need to understand this, the culture of the day dictated a very public, very humiliating, and possibly deadly result for Mary. In Deuteronomy 22, 23, and 4, we hear about the law. If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, that sounds a lot like Mary, 
And another man finds her in the city and lies with her. They become intimate. Then you shall bring them both out to the city, uh, gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, meaning it was consensual, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Now remember, Joseph was faithful to the law. He knew this. He knew this was the possible outcome of those finding out about Mary being pregnant before they had officially been married. So in being faithful to the law, it was within Joseph's right to divorce her. But the word says that he chose to do it quietly in an attempt to save her from that. But also based on what we read in Deuteronomy, um, it, it was possibly the leaders of the, of the city, the leaders right to stone her to death. So, being a man of righteousness and faith to the law, he was going to quietly divorce her. But the angel of the Lord came and presented him with a third option. The angel said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. But now to somebody who is leading a life of righteousness or striving for righteousness and is faithful to the law, he's now hearing this and saying, well, golly, this is countercultural. This isn't at all what, what, what my society says I should do. I already thought that I was kind of like, you know, not doing what society says I should do or what the law says I should do. Um, but no, not only should Joseph ignore societal norms, he should be so countercultural that he should not fear taking Mary as his wife and rearing the Christ child as his own. See, that's the thing about righteousness. Walking in God-given righteousness often means going against popular opinion. And at the end of the day, what is more important for you in your walk with the Lord, in your own faith, to do what society and what our culture says is right or to do what God says is right? All right, that's enough about righteousness. <laughs> Let's talk about obedience, another fun topic, obedience. So let's look at verses 22 through 25. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Since we know that Joseph was faithful to the law, we can deduce that he was, in addition to being a skilled carpenter, educated in the law and scriptures. The prophecy being fulfilled here is found in Isaiah 7.14. Joseph should have known to test every prophetic word, vision, or dream against scripture to ensure that it aligns. So it comes as no surprise that Joseph awoke from his sleep and did exactly as he was told. This is a lesson for us. 
Anytime that we hear a prophetic word or have a prophetic dream, the first thing that we should do is pray about it. God, was this from you? And then we should go to his word because his word will reveal the accuracy of what you've heard or what you think you might have seen. The word of God will tell us the difference between a prophetic dream or a late night bowl of bad chili dream. Y'all have had those. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe it wasn't chili. Maybe it was pizza. But the word of God is going to tell us the difference. I've heard testimonies of people who have um, stated that they heard a word from the Lord and I listen to what they say and I'm like, that sounds like something you're not supposed to do according to the word of God. Oh, but, but I'm sure of it. I'm sure I heard from the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit wouldn't be telling you to sin. All right, now we come to a section of Scripture that does not get any airtime whatsoever. Let's read verse 25 again. But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. Joseph kept Mary a virgin until the birth of Jesus. The word says that he already took her as his wife. Married couples. Think about that for a minute. In all my years of listening to or reading the Christmas message, this section of verse has escaped me. But it makes sense, doesn't it? As the miracle is not just the immaculate conception of Jesus in Mary by the Holy Spirit, it was that he was born of a virgin. In Jewish tradition, a marriage is not official until it's consummated. What kind of sacrifice did Joseph make? Folks, let's be real for a minute here. And you know, the, the Bible doesn't expound a whole lot on what happened in those next eight months. But I could imagine that if I were to place myself in Joseph's shoes, um, there would be those times where I'm thinking, is this, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I really supposed to be holding off? I mean, this is my wife we're talking about here. I could only imagine there were those times where Mary said, Joseph, and he had to go and find a cold waterfall and say no. See, Joseph held off his marriage. He held off his life. He held off his own physical desires. He held off, as the Bible would say, the, the desires of the flesh for Christ's sake. So I read this and I think about this and I think, was Joseph the first person to truly follow Jesus? Hipster Joseph put Jesus first in his life before it was cool. Thank you. I'm glad, so glad somebody got that. Joseph epitomized what John later says in, in chapter 330 before these words were even uttered. He must increase and I must decrease. He even foreshadowed his own stepson's words that wouldn't be uttered for another 30-ish years. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's also in John 9.23. 
But like I said, the Bible doesn't say what happened in those eight months. The Bible doesn't say what Joseph's attitude was in those eight months. Was he following Christ with joy or with disdain? Because he could have easily chosen to say, wow, I'm part of a much bigger picture than my own. So I'm going to embrace this the way that my wife enthusiastically embraced this. We learned about that a couple weeks ago. Or he could have chosen to say, "Ah, really? I had my whole life ahead of me. I had my own plans. I had the things that I thought I was going to be doing. But God, you turned them on on their head. And now look at me. I don't think so. Because again, we have to remember that, you know, Joseph was faithful to the law. He knew the scriptures. He knew the stories. He knows that that the word already tells us what it looks like when we give sacrifices to the Lord half-heartedly. He probably, I'm not going to say this, but I remember Cain in the book of Genesis who lost favor in God's eyes due to him not giving his best as a sacrifice. He didn't give of the first fruits. But not Joseph. He put his life on hold. He said, I've got my whole life to be, I'm guessing, he might have said something like, I've got my whole life to be a husband. I can sacrifice these eight months to help fulfill prophecy. Now, we move on a little bit in, in Jesus' life, and, and you know, we, we deduce from Mark 6.3 um, that alludes to Jesus as a carpenter when he first begins teaching in his hometown synagogue that Jesus took up his earthly father's profession before he took up his father's profession. We can deduce that Joseph was in the picture, though the word doesn't specifically say it and was involved in the upbringing of Jesus. He nurtured Jesus, taught him valuable life lessons, gave him skills in the trade of carpentry. Joseph was not just the fiancé of Mary, who had thoughts of annulling his marriage due to her pregnancy out of wedlock. Sadly, no, that's right. Sadly, I think this is how he is sometimes remembered. But on the contrary, Joseph is a man to be emulated. He is a man to be admired. He is a man who gives us a model of fatherhood through the gospel of his stepson, Jesus Christ. This brings me to a few poignant questions. Are we nurturing Christ in our lives as Joseph did in his? Are we willing to change our plans or more accurately allow our plans to be changed for us? Or put our lives on hold for Christ's sake? What are we willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of heaven? Joseph made Jesus a priority in his life. Are we doing the same? If we could take the moment and take that step back and, you know, ask the Lord to search our hearts, are we truly doing the same? Am I truly doing the same? To further reinforce this point, in Luke 9 and 18, Jesus has conversations with would-be followers. 
Luke 9, 59 to 62, Jesus calls two people to follow him, but the first wants to tend to his ailing father before he followed Jesus. The other wants to bid his family farewell before he was willing to follow Jesus. In Luke 18, 8 through 30, Jesus speaks to the rich young man who is looking to inherit eternal life and having attested to upholding the law Jesus tells him to sell all of his earthly possessions and give it all to the poor. But the rich young man, or as some translations call the rich young ruler, wasn't willing to let go of what he had. Now, don't get me wrong, following Christ does not mean forsaking familial responsibilities, but it does require instant action. Following Jesus does not mean, I'll do that in 10 years. I've got, I've got my own stuff to do. That's just an excuse. But the Bible doesn't say anything about Joseph complaining about his situation or cursing the radical way God asked him to change his long-term plans to meet the needs of the kingdom or making excuses about why now is just not convenient for me. No. Joseph embraced the change and acted accordingly. And now we talk to my, uh, my, my third and final point, and that's God's guidance for Joseph. This is closely related to Joseph being obedient, but to the next level. Being obedient to the guidance we have from God leads to more guidance from him. For this final point, as we, as we come to a close, we skip forward to Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15. This is after the Magi visit Jesus, Mary and Joseph, and Herod secretly tries to learn the location of the new king for his own nefarious means. Um, for a recap on that, pop on over to emmanuelde.com slash sermons and give Pastor Daniel's December 20th sermon titled, The Hope of the Magi, a listen. But this is what the word says. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. We've heard that before. Get up! Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night. Remember that. And left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. Now, I I spent a little bit of time on Google Maps to help paint a picture for you. Just how far away is Egypt from Bethlehem? Well, The scripture doesn't tell us which part of Egypt that he went to, but uh, if he went to the closest point, which would have been the Sinai Peninsula, that's about 250 miles or roughly distance between here and Virginia Beach. Takes about five hours to get there by car, six hours with traffic, seven hours with children. Well, they didn't have cars. They didn't have Route 1 or Route 113. They certainly didn't have the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel to get across a big river. This is not an easy journey. 
But that's just if he went to the Sinai Peninsula. If they went to a bigger city where maybe he could establish himself and, and you know, earn a living and work in his trade, perhaps he went to Alexandria or, or, um, or Giza, which would have been another 250 miles, roughly the distance between here and Myrtle Beach. I've got a beach theme going here because it's just really cold and I'd much rather be at a nice warm beach. Oh. Still, not an easy journey especially to be uh, done with a cart, a mule, on foot, with children. But here it is again. Joseph heard from an angel of the Lord in a dream. Can you imagine Joseph waking up Mary, having just likely chased a toddler around the house all day and is finally getting such precious, precious sleep? Hey, babe. Um, an angel of the Lord appeared to me in a dream. At this point, Mary knows the drill. She said, okay, I'll pack up my things. And they packed up their household. And that night, the word says, they left for Egypt. So there's a lot of things that we can draw from that. It's a model of knowing how God speaks to you and again, testing it against Scripture. Let's remember, Joseph was faithful to the law. He knew the word. He probably knew, oh, wow, I remember reading that. Out of Egypt I will call my son, and here we've got the son of God, and, and we're being told to go to Egypt. Let's continue on with verses 19 through 23. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appears in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that, I'm going to butcher this name, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. So that's, that's two times being told in a dream where to go in one journey. That's, that's impressive. And came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, I shall be called a Nazarene. So between these, between these uh, two sections of Scripture, Three more times Joseph was given guidance in a dream. Three more times Joseph was obedient. And it was Joseph, Joseph's action, acting on what he was told to do, that fulfilled the prophecies that we would have read in Isaiah and Hosea and all the Ayahs. I wish I could hear as, close, as clearly as Joseph could hear and had the faith to uproot myself and my family upon receiving a word from God. One thing that I'm amazed at, however, that as God's plan was unfolding before Joseph's very eyes, Joseph was not only obedient to God's instruction, but also to God's timing. 
I can't say this enough, but knowing the law as Joseph did, I can only imagine he knew the next prophecy regarding his stepson and would try to push the timeline. Who here has ever tried to push God's timeline in your life? Did it ever work out well? Okay, I'm seeing some shaking nose. Okay. <laughs> Praise God, Joseph didn't. He submitted to God's will and God's timing. Being obedient to the guidance he had from God led to more guidance from him. Surely we have all wondered where God is in ordering our steps at one time or another. Wondering where his guidance is, where his wisdom is. And that makes me wonder, have I been faithful and obedient to the guidance God has given me in the past? Or have I made excuses like the would-be followers of Christ? Saying, oh, now's not the right time. Or I have other things that I need to do first. Now, I'm by no means wealthy, but have I coveted material things like the rich young ruler? You know, I, I told you a little bit about my um, life at Emmanuel for a reason, because in that timeline, there were many other important things that happened in this place with this body of believers and with me. For those of you who were here in the mid to late 90s, there was a massive outpouring of the Spirit in this sanctuary, in this place. And I remember... Hope it's okay that I do this. I remember at some point, probably in that 1996 to 1997, 1998 time frame, laying here on the floor as men who I knew to be righteous were praying over me. And I remember the words coming out of one of them who, um, who is still serving at a church today and has been for a long time faithfully. And he said, you're going to be a preacher one day, Joel. Now it's taken me 25 years to stand before you. So preparing for this message has done exactly what I hope God does with each and every one of you is that you look back and you reflect and you say, I heard that word. And I guess as a 10 or, 12, 10 or 11 or 12-year-old, I might have said, nah, I want to be a rock star. As a 36-year-old, I stand before you and say, nah, I kind of want to be a rock star when I grow up. So what has the last 26, 25, 26 years been? Has it been waiting on God's timing? Has it been me making excuses? Has it been me just putting off or being obedient to God's guidance?
See, at that time, I didn't know what it meant to be righteous. I didn't know what it meant to be striving for integrity. In those teenage years, as teenagers do, they put on the church face on Sundays and maybe put on their high school face (laughs) in the week. Now, if I had the integrity and the knowledge and the, and, and the obedience of Joseph, maybe that day I would have stood up and said, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to start taking action on that. Maybe go to Bible school. Maybe go get my Master's of Divinity. I don't know that I did anything wrong. I don't know that I did anything right. But what I do know is that I should be doing what each of us should be doing every day, and that is talking with God the Father and saying, am I where you need me to be? To be the best friend, to be the best evangelist, to be the best mother or father, to be the best husband or wife, to be the best leader, to be the best employee? Am I leaning on God enough to give me the strength to do all of those things? Because on my own, I can't. These are things that we learned from Joseph that we can apply today. We should be seeking righteousness from God. We should be striving for integrity. We should know his word and be obedient to his instruction. We should be ready to take action. So at this time, I'd like to call Derek and the worship team back up for a final song. Um, and as they're doing that after, afterwards, um, uh, the elders and I will be up front for prayer if maybe you need help seeing the guidance from God in your life. Or maybe you're hearing a message like this for the first time and you're wondering, who is this Jesus who you're following and telling me to follow? Well, we'll be here to talk with you and to pray with you. Amen. Derek. Let's rise to our feet. Jesus, oh, for Jesus, all I am and have, never hope to be. Jesus, oh, for Jesus. All I am and have 
And never hope 